right, well, today we are continuing a series in Proverbs. Um, and we're going we're gonna to look at words today. And as we start, I just want to clear something up, uh, first of all. That, that phrase, uh, it's, one, you know, it's a proverb, I guess, in our culture. It's not biblical. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, that's, that's garbage, okay? Let's just, let's get that out of there. That is not, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. There are much better proverbs, in fact, uh, in the Bible that are closer to reality. And that's where I want to start us today. Um, proverbs 12, 18. It says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's more like it, isn't it? Uh, words hurt. Words can hurt. Words can hurt like sword thrusts. They cut. On the other hand, Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Words don't just cut. Words, words can bring health and healing. They're, they have power. Words can make you feel better. It, words are sweeter than sugar. Words can be nourishing. Words can do that. Uh, to sum up, Proverbs 18, 21 uh, says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Words have power. Death and life. Cutting, wo cutting wounds and nourishing honey. They, they both come from the same place, from our words, from our, our mouth. So we're going to talk about words today. And, and in a way, if you've been here for a while, this is the culmination of a little mini-series within the Proverbs series. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at emotions and anger and handling conflict. And today, words. And words, in some ways, is the capstone of that because the way we use words, it, it, it affects and ties together all those other things, how we express our emotions and dealing with anger and resolving conflict. It's all words. It's how do we use our words. See, words are so important. So important, in fact, that in James, in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 2, it says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect. So if you can just get a handle on your tongue, that's just see, you want to be perfect? Here's your one-step plan for perfection. Just get a handle on your tongue. Words, it's, it's, it's everything. So we're going to look at words today. This is not going to be exhaustive. Proverbs has so much to say about words. But what I want us to look at today, I've just got three questions for us that I want to walk through. Um, three questions that will help us, I hope, in our ability to use words well so that we're more life-giving, more honeycomb-like, and less cutting, sword-thrusting, death-dealing words. Uh, the three questions I want to ask as we go through today is, first, what makes words good or bad? Then secondly, what are good and bad uses of words? And then finally, and most importantly, how do we learn to use words well? That's where we're going today. And I want to start by just saying, what, what makes words good or bad? And the first thing just, just to say is, I don't think that words are good and bad in and of themselves. I think that words by themselves are neither good nor bad. That's where we've got to start. 
study Proverbs, I think that's, that's the conclusion I came to. I mean, it would be nice. It would be nice if you could just make a list and say these particular words are good words and these particular words are bad words. And as long as you don't say the bad words and you do say the good words, then you've got a handle on your tongue. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That's what we do. That is what we do. It would be nice. It's very attractive, and that's why we do it. We, we say, uh, there's, a, there's a list of words, and we're going to call them bad words. They are so bad, in fact, that we can only say them by the first letter in the word. You have to identify them by that. Just play a little guessing game. Now, which, what one do you mean exactly? Well, I can't say the word. I can just give you the first letter. I can put little asterisks to fill in the blanks. But the word's so bad, I can't actually say it. I can't write it. We say there's words that are inherently bad. If you say those words, then, then you have a problem with language. If you don't say those words, then you don't. Uh, if you say those words and I don't, then I'm probably better than you. If I say those words and you don't, then I'm probably worse. This approach has really great appeal. I mean, you see the appeal, right? Because, because you can say, there's only, I don't know, 20 or so words that are really bad. It's very manageable. You just have to manage to not say 15 to 20 words. It's very observable. You know whether or not you're saying them. Did you say it? Was it on the list? Was, did you say that word? Okay, then, you, oh, you didn't? Okay, you're good. It's very manageable. It's very observable. But I question whether it's biblical. Because as I surveyed the book of Proverbs and even you know, thought through and asked some other folks, surveying the whole Bible, I couldn't find anywhere in Scripture where it gives a list of words. It says, here are words that are so bad that you can never say them. It's just not there. Now, does the Bible give guidance on how to speak? Of course it does. Of course it does. But it isn't as simple as here's a list of bad words that you don't say, and if you do that, then you're fine. I mean, you, you will search and search and search to find the list that says, here are the words that describe bathroom activity that are acceptable to say, but these words are not. Or, or here are the words that are acceptable to say to describe what happens in a bedroom, but these particular words are not. Or these are acceptable words to talk about body parts, but these words are not. You just don't see it. It's not there. Now, now why? Well, uh, obviously, I think, hopefully, <laughs> obviously, one of the reasons you don't see it is because the Bible is written in a different language than English. So you're not going to see a, li a list. Of, but, th but that's an important point because languages are all different. Languages change. And it would be impossible for the Bible to give a list for all time that says these words are always bad because languages change. They evolve. They're new. In one generation it might be bad. In one generation it might not be. Uh, but secondly, more fundamentally, the reason you don't find a list is because wisdom, which is what we're studying here, wisdom, skill in the art of living in God's world, wisdom is not about lists. Wisdom is not about lists saying, here's the checkbox, do these things and you're fine, do these things and you're not. Wisdom is about skill, it's about knowing when is it right and wrong to do various things. Language is a very complicated tool that God has given us. You've got to know, when is it appropriate to say a particular word? When is it inappropriate? Is stronger language called for in this moment for good reason? Is it not? 
See, words in and of themselves are neither good nor bad. They're just words. So what makes them good or bad? It's not that they're on some canonical list. It's how we use them. Words are good and bad depending on how they are used. Whatever the word is, are you using it to bless someone or to curse someone? Are you using it to build somebody up or using it to tear them down? Are you using it to show love or to show hatred? For example, you just tell me, which one of these words is on your list of bad words? You are not my friend. I think those are all safe ones, right? You can say those on television. But you know how hard it is, how cutting it is for a kid to hear that on the playground? Honestly, I think that's worse than whatever they might see scrawled in graffiti on the slide and come home and repeat to you. But to hear someone say, you are not my friend, you are ugly, I don't like you, those are bad words. Not because they're inherently bad. If you look, flip them up in the dictionary and you see a little tag that says explicit next to it, no, it's not, that's not it. But that they're used with bad intent. And, and when Proverbs talks about words, the focus is on how words are used. The focus is not so much on which particular words you use, but on how you use the words that you're speaking. Now this is true, and I think it is. If it's true, then it probably calls for us to make a change in focus for us as men and women, as children and parents. What's the goal? What's the goal? Is the goal to master a list of 10 to 20 words? To make sure that your kids never say those words, and if they do, then you're okay? Or if you never say those words, or if you never get caught saying those words, then you're okay? Or is the focus to gain wisdom such that you and your children and those you have influence over will say the right word at the right time for the right reason and bring life? It's a different way of looking at it. It's not as simple as saying these are bad words, don't say them. It's Use your words well. So, that's our goal. I want to help us to get there this morning. So I'm not going to give a list of good words and bad words. What I'm going to do is give us a flavor of what Proverbs says are good uses of words and bad uses of words. Now I say a flavor because, this is, again, this is not exhaustive. There's a lot of ways that you can use words well, a lot of ways you can use words poorly, and Proverbs itself says so much. This is probably the main topic in Proverbs. So I encourage you to go ahead and just read it for yourself and see what else you see. But, but here are some bad uses of words and the corresponding good uses of words that we see in Proverbs to help us get a flavor. So this is point number two. What are good and bad uses of words? First, gossip. Can you guess which category that goes in? Yeah, it's, the, it's bad. That's the bad side. Gossip is a bad use of words. Here's one of many Proverbs 
17.9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So you may get some information. You may use no bad words at all. You may uh, even phrase it as a prayer request. Boy, you know what I heard about so-and-so? You, you just really need to be praying for them. Oh, you haven't heard? Oh, well, let me tell you. There's no bad words. The profanity police aren't going to slap you on the wrist for that one. Here's what Ray Ortland Jr., a, a pastor, said about gossip. He said, adultery, for example, is perceived in most Bible-believing churches as a serious sin, and it is. But I have never seen adultery send a whole church into meltdown. Gossip, by contrast, is often perceived as a little sin, but it destroys churches. And it does. Gossip. Gossip is a bad use of words. Now, in contrast, what would be a good use of words? Instead of gossip, what could you do? Well, we actually did give a whole sermon of this last week. You could do conflict resolution. And if you weren't here last week, you can, you can get the, the message on, online or get a copy in the back or just ask somebody who took good notes. Uh, conflict resolution. Instead of gossip, you can resolve the conflict. So here's another one, a different one we didn't see last week. Proverbs 25:12. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Uh, a reprover, someone who, who goes to the person and says, this is wrong, here's the issue, you need to deal with this. So instead of, I heard this from somebody, I'm going to pass it on to someone else as a salacious tidbit, you hear it, you go to the person, you address it, and you know what that's like? Instead of destroying churches, instead of blowing things up, it's like a gold ring, an ornament of gold. That is priceless. That's a good use of words. All right, another one, mocking. Mocking is a bad use of words. Proverbs 11:12. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Belittling, it's mocking, making fun of someone, putting them down, insulting another person. Proverbs says this is a serious misuse of words. Again, you might do it with the quote-unquote cleanest mouth. You might have a, a sharp wit, a clever tongue. You don't have to resort to profanity to make your point. But if you're mocking, if you're belittling, if you're insulting, you are using bad words. Or should I say you're using words badly. Now, instead of that, this proverb says you could just remain silent. That would be an improvement. Or you could use words well, and you could be encouraging. Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are, again, like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Instead of using words to tear down, what do you do? You use your words to, to build up, to nourish, to provide health and, and sweetness to the soul and body. Use that quick wit. Use that intelligent ability to handle words, to build people up in creative ways instead of tearing them down. That's using words well. Uh, the next one, this might... Uh, hit us a little more. Thoughtless speech. Thoughtless speech. Proverbs 18.2 A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 29.20 Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? 
There's more hope for a fool than for him. So here we have just speaking quickly, speaking without thinking. This might be a little a little challenging for us. It was, it was for me to, to say, well, you're not actually you're not intentionally trying to hurt anybody with what you're saying. This isn't like gossiping or cutting down or, or you're mocking somebody. This is just you didn't think it through. Proverbs says that's a big deal. That's a big deal. The fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinion. I think this characterizes a lot of our online discussion these days. Everybody's got a platform. Everybody can publish. Everybody can put something on the internet or on Facebook. You can just put it out there. No, you don't have to convince an editor that it's a good idea, that you know what you're talking about. It's just there. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only expressing his opinion. Thoughtless words is a poor use of words. You might not understand the situation, it might be very complex, but you've got to say something. In the contrast, the good use of words would be thoughtful speech. Proverbs 15:28 says, "The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things." This is what we need. This is what people need. We need folks who will take time think, to ask questions, to listen, to reason through, to not rush to give an answer, to not rush to get your voice heard. I mean, maybe, maybe it takes a couple days. Maybe someone shares something with you and, and they ask your advice and you feel the pressure to give advice right there to sound wise, but you just don't know what to do. You know what the wise person does? They don't say anything. They say, can, can I have a day or a couple days to think this over? I really don't know. But that advice that you will get is worth so much more than the thoughtless advice that you would have gotten from the fool. The advice that you will receive from someone who, who is pondering and thinking and wrestling with the ideas is going to help you. See, thoughtful speech is good speech. Thoughtless speech is bad speech. Let's do two more. Two more sets. Uh, lying. It's a pretty obvious one, right? Lying. Lying is a bad use of words. Proverbs 12:22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Lying is an abomination. Uh, do you think using the F word is a big deal? Does that really uh, rile you up? Really shock you? What does God say about lying here? It's an abomination. Lying is an abomination to God. Lying should be some of the most offensive speech in our minds that, that we hear. Lying. Lying is one of the worst uses of speech that you can do. You're taking words and corrupting their power because you're, you're, you're misrepresenting reality. Lying lips are an abomination to God, but on the contra contrary, Proverbs 24, 26 says, truth, truth is a blessing. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. This is a, a, a nice word picture, right? Proverbs gives us things. What's it saying? It's saying telling the truth is a good thing. Telling the truth is a good thing. It's a blessing. It's like giving your sweetheart a kiss. It's good. It's pure. It's refreshing. It's what mouths are supposed to do. 
honest lips are a good thing. There's a special kind of lying. That's our last one. And I've called it hiding sin. This is another bad use of words. Using words to hide sin. Proverbs 26, 23 through 25 says, Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not. This is hypocrisy. Another name for it. Um, presenting a front. So it's like this, like the glaze on a pot. It's just a thin covering. Makes it look nice, but it's not substantial. Using words to say, to, to, to project an image to other people that you've got it together, that life is good, that you're, you've got it all under control, you've got their best intentions at heart, when the inside uh, you are deceitful and have other designs, when they speak graciously, believe him not. That's a misuse of words. Instead of hiding sin, the good use commanded in Proverbs is to actually admit sin. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, this is hard. Our instinct as self-justifying creatures is to say, well, I've screwed up. What can I do? What can I say to make sure that no one finds out? What can I do? What can I say? How can I use my words to spin this so I don't come across as the bad guy? But the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God is don't use your words to do that. Use your words to come clean. Use your words to admit your sin, to confess your sin, to even ask for forgiveness because when you do that, you're no longer this hypocrite trapped within your lies, but you are free. You have healing and mercy. Words can do that. Words could trap you in your sin such that you, you can't admit it to anyone and you, and you shrivel up and die on the inside or words can set you free if you will just face up to your sin and confess it and ask for forgiveness. And I think by now a lot of us feel like we need forgiveness. Because we do this stuff, right? We gossip and we mock and we are thoughtless and we lie and we hide our sin so well. So how do we change? It's not as simple as saying, here's the list of bad words, don't say them. There's all sorts of, every word in the English language, in other languages too, you could use for good or for bad. So how do we learn to use them for good to get that really deep change? How do we use, learn to use words well? This is point number three. And I got two parts. The first step in learning to use words well is you've got to get a new heart by believing in Jesus. I'm going to have to explain that one. So it's like, heart? Oh, Emily, you got the wrong body part here. We're talking about mouth. We're talking about tongue. What's heart got to do with it? Well, what you'll find as you look at the Bible and especially Proverbs is that there's a direct connection between your heart and your mouth. There's a direct connection. 
Here's a couple. Proverbs 10, 20. It says, The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. And what you expect as you read enough Proverbs, you expect that the two halves in some way parallel each other. And, and what jumps out as you look at this one is that in the first half it talks about the tongue of the righteous. In the second half, the heart of the wicked. It's suggesting there's a connection. Tongue and heart in some ways are even the same thing. Proverbs 16.23 is more explicit. It says, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious, good, and adds persuasiveness to his lips. The wise speech of a wise person actually comes from a wise heart. So there's a connection, a connection between your heart and your lips, which means that you can take one of two approaches in trying to get better speech. You can either focus on your heart or you can focus on your mouth. Right? And the, the mouth approach is, I think, what a lot of us go for. That, that approach is to say, what I need, if I'm going to control my language, is I need to have a strong filter. I need to have a strong filter. Uh, there's lots of horrible things that I want to say. They're all right there. I want to say them, but at some level I know better. Uh, and so I need to bite my tongue. I need to have a strong filter, something that keeps that horrible stuff from coming out. That's one approach. So the picture is like a, you've got a, a polluted, dirty stream, and you've got a really fine filter that's there, and it, it gets most of the particles out, and you've got a, a, a basically drinkable stream afterwards because you put a strong filter in there. That's one approach. But it's very hard. Uh, it, it works, and except for those times when the filter breaks down and you get this flood of sewage, uh, but then you slam the filter back in place and it might work a little bit. That's one approach. That's the, that's the mouth approach, focusing on the mouth. But you could also focus on the heart. And there the approach is instead of a strong filter, what you need is a fresh fountain. You just got to get a fresh fountain. Proverbs 10:11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So instead of having this nasty river, you've got to put this really fine filter up there and, and keep it there and probably change it regularly because it gets clogged and all that sort of stuff. You just need a, fine, a fresh fountain. If you just have a clean fountain, you wouldn't even need a filter. You just let it come out because it's clean, it's good, it's life-giving. See, they can have similar outputs most of the time. You, see, you don't see dirty stuff coming out, but it's very, very different. One, the first one, takes incredible willpower. Constant vigilance. The second one takes a miracle of God. But that is what is offered to us in the gospel. We're, we're all, it's not like some people are born with clean hearts, and that's why they have clean mouths. We're all born with dirty hearts. We're all born wicked and polluted, and we just, we, we want to say the worst things to people. And we do. I mean, just go to a playground. Those kids haven't learned to filter yet, Right? We think the same things about our coworkers. We just don't say them. We need a fresh heart. And that's what God offers us. Uh, a great promise is found in Ezekiel 26. I know I'm out of, out of Proverbs a little bit here, but I put it on the screen, I think. Ezekiel 26. God says, this is what happens for you when you put your faith in Jesus. You get a heart transplant. 
God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statue and be careful to obey all my rules. This is what happens when you become a Christian. It's a miracle. It's a work of God. This dirty, polluted heart of stone, this, this cesspool of, of bad language, bad thoughts, wanting to hurt others, being selfish. God takes that rebellious heart. And he says, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and you put your faith in him, I'm going to take that heart and I'm going to give you a new heart and I'm going to put my spirit in you such that now you have a change at the most fundamental level of who you are. You want to love others. You want to bless others. And you have the power of God's spirit in your life changing you from the inside out. Now, does this mean that as soon as someone becomes a, a genuine Christian, that they immediately stop all lying and all gossip and all sarcastic insults? And No, I, I don't think it means that. But it means that you do have a fundamental change at the bottom. I, th I think it means that you stop wanting to do those things. You know, whereas before... You reveled in that? Like you, you really wanted to nail that other person. You really wanted to destroy them. You really wanted to pass on that thing. And you didn't care if it hurt another person or not, but it was just good gossip and you're going to pass it on. You, want, you reveled in that. And maybe sometimes you held back because you knew it wasn't socially acceptable or you, you know, it just wasn't the right time. But, but now, now there's a change. You've got God's heart in you. Which means you love him and you, you genuinely love other people. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to destroy their reputation. You don't want to, to mock them and lie and, and put up a front. You do sometimes. We still sin. But instead of partnering with your sin and rejoicing in it, you're now partnering with God against your sin, confessing it when you do it. You, you've changed the battlefront. You're no longer trying to just filter a polluted stream, but now you're working with God at the source and trying to clean that thing up by his power with new life inside you. So that's the first step. If you want to get to using words well and you really want power, you've got to go to the source. You've got to get your heart transformed. And, and so if you're not a Christian now, and you hear that, that, I'm telling you, that's what you've got to do. Um, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you get a hold on your language. <laughs> but it means that God gets a hold of your language. He gets a hold of you and changes you from the inside out so that you are now different. So, uh, so you don't have to clean up your mouth before you come to Christ. You come to Christ and he changes you. And part of that is cleaning up your mouth. Now, if you are a Christian and you think, wow, I just don't have that power... Well, it means that you've been focusing in the wrong place. You've got the new heart, but you've been trying to just filter the end results. By faith, ask Jesus, trust in him. Um, you know, tap into that power. Go move the battle lines to the heart and say, God, I'm saying bad things. Help me to, to change my inside so that I, I actually want good things instead of bad things for others. Uh, and along with that comes the second step, which is to fill your new heart with wisdom from God's word. Proverbs 10:32 says the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. 
So let's say you're a new Christian. You just, you just got converted. Should you expect your use of words to change completely right away? Well, I think you should expect, again, some results, some change. You, you should have a heart for others. So you'll probably just become more encouraging, uh, less, less cutting, um, less inclined to gossip, more inclined to, to build people up. Uh, you'll see some of that change. But it's not going to be overnight, and I think this verse tells us why. It's because you don't know any better. Right? The lips of the righteous know it's acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. So you're like a brand new baby who doesn't even know how to talk. You, you've learned language and how to use language from your family, from your culture, from the guys in the shop, from your TV shows. You've learned how to speak. You know it's perverse, but you don't know what's righteous yet. And so part of that, once you get the new heart, you've got to relearn how to speak. You've got to apprentice yourself to God and the way he speaks in his word. Proverbs 10:14 says, The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. So, so a wise person lays up knowledge. You, you go to the Bible. You learn to speak from hearing God speak because he always speaks well. He speaks truth and grace in the right proportions. He speaks encouragement and chastisement in the right proportions. He, he is offensive when he needs to be. And he's comforting when he needs to be. Uh, as you read scripture, God's word, it's not for nothing, we call it God's word. You learn to speak as he speaks. He becomes kind of our mentor training us in this new language so that we begin to know what is right. So I'd encourage you, as I often do, um, make regular Bible intake a part of your life. I'm not going to stand up here and say you have to read the Bible 30 minutes every day. You have to finish the Bible in a year. That may be what you need. I mean, that may work for you. Maybe it's five minutes a day, or, or maybe it's every week, you go home, and I, I, I list the, the scripture references for the sermon in your outline, so maybe you go home and you just read over those. You think a little bit more about them, chew, chew on those. In, in some way, you've got to make regular Bible intake a part of your life. Because you're learning to speak from all sorts of places. What we need to hear from is God. See, the key to our mouths is our hearts. We need a new heart from Jesus, and we need to fill that heart with God's talk. Like many other things in Proverbs, what we've found with words is that they can be good and bad. It all depends on how you use them. It's not as simple as saying, here's the eight words that you can say or you can't say. You've got to look at the way we're using words. Are you using words to hurt or to heal? We need to look deeper at our hearts. Are we just filtering or do we have a fresh fountain? And as always, I mean, we're going we're gonna to see our shortcomings. We're going to see our failures. But what do we do? We take those failures. We take those sins. We confess them to God. We ask for his help. He forgives us of our sin. And he works to make us new from the inside out. It's my prayer for us this week. Let's, let's pray. Father, would you make us new? I pray for any who are here this morning, Lord, that have never gotten that new heart. Um, all this is impossible. It's a miracle. I said it's a miracle. It is. 
to have a heart transformed from being bitter and angry and self-preserving and self-justifying and defiant and rebellious to you to being made into one who loves others and desires their good and is free to confess sin. You know, we, we cannot do that in our own strength. Father, as we think about words and come to the end of our, um, our hoarded resources, uh, it's hard to filter all the time. It's hard to keep up appearances. God, would you help us to let go to surrender, to admit our sin, and to ask for your help in transforming us from the inside out. Do the miracle, Lord, for, for anyone who has not yet put their faith in you, do the miracle today that they would do that and receive a new heart. For those who have walked with you for a long time but become self-reliant in our own ability to control our lips, would you humble us and break our hearts afresh that we would ask you to change us from the inside out. Father, would you make our church, our families, and all the places where we go, um, places of life and not death. I pray for kids as they interact with one another, that there would be life-giving conversations. I pray for people at work, that there would be life-giving conversations there. For us in our neighborhoods, that we would be like honey to others in the way that we speak, giving health and life to their souls. Oh, Father, the power of words is great. Would you use it in us well?